Hello and welcome to the series finale episode of Visionary Voices, a podcast series by Link Leaders. I'm Deepika Sriram. Throughout this podcast series, we've been talking to successful women in business and law who are based out here in the Middle East. We started this journey back in March and asked our speakers to share their career stories, the challenges that they have faced, and their vision for the future generation. We're now at the end of the series, and I am so thrilled to have Reem Al-Sayeg, who is a partner at Linklater's here, joining us for a very special episode. Reem is the first Emirati partner at Linklater's, working in the banking and financial sector, and is also the head of the financial regulatory group in the UAE. Born and raised in Dubai, she has also worked in the firm Singapore and London offices. Reem is a champion for women in the workplace, and for those of you who know her personally, you will probably agree with me when I say that she's truly an inspiration. I'm very excited to have her on board today talking to us about her journey and her views on breaking the bias. Reem, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Deepika. So first things first, Reem, I know congratulations are in order because you were recently named as the financing rising star in the EMEA region by Euromoney's Women in Business Law Awards for 2022. So that's incredible. Thank you. Thank you. That's right. Um, it was only announced um, a, couple of, a couple of days ago. So I'm very, very pleased with that recognition. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm so, so proud of um, what we've accomplished as a, as a team out here. That's excellent. So Reem, we have always seen you as this powerhouse finance specialist at Linklater's, but Tell us a little bit about how that journey all began and the career path that brought you here. Wow, <laughs> what an introduction. I, I certainly don't see myself as a, as a powerhouse finance specialist, but I'll, I'll take it, Deepika, I'll, I'll take it. Um, it. It all really began with me sitting at a bus stop just outside Silk Street in, in London, um, where, our, where our headquarters are based, hyperventilating that I was about to start my, my first day at this huge firm, you know, two, two towers full of exceptional lawyers. And it was a lot to take in um, fresh, out of, fresh out of university. So that was back in 2009. I joined the firm in London. I moved to Singapore for a little while where I joined the capital markets team there. Um, and then I moved back to Dubai where I have been for the last 11 years. Although uh, a born and bred transactional banking lawyer, I've also developed a financial regulatory practice. Um, many don't perhaps understand why, but I do feel that the two practice areas are actually very complementary. Um, it helps keep things interesting for me. And because financial regulation is not static, it's ever-changing and new regulations come out, practices develop, the regulators react, it keeps me on my toes and, and, and keeps my, my mind sharp. So it's a completely different skill set to what my transactional clients look for. And I really quite, um, I really quite enjoy the challenge. Thank you for sharing that, Reem. So the theme for our podcast was uh, about challenging bias. And I think you are uniquely poised to talk to us about this because as you say, you worked in multiple jurisdiction 
and headed a team of lawyers from diverse backgrounds in your career spanning more than a decade. So I'm curious to hear, how have you seen bias manifested in the workplace and how have you sought to challenge that? Um, it's, it's really quite a tough question, Deepika, because the most difficult bias to identify and unwind is, is unconscious, right? I, I, I feel very lucky that I've not actually been the subject of conscious or intentional bias. I think circumstances like that are very rare, thankfully. Um, it, it's always been unconscious and, and quite frankly, well-meaning bias that, I, that I've come across. Um, and it can be difficult to challenge without coming across as, as defensive. So I joined Linklater's fresh out of university. So, so one of the challenges that I, that I faced was actually my life was still changing quite a lot. And as I progressed throughout my career, I passed through some very significant milestones like many of us would. I got married. I had a child and then a second one and then a third one. These are huge events that, that fundamentally change you, change your priorities, change the way that you, um, that you look at your work-life balance, the, your, your, your priority list. So throughout those life-changing events, you become a slightly different person. And how do you make work work around that? I remember having my first return to work conversation after my first maternity leave. And it was so formulaic. It was almost like going through a checklist, you know, discuss childcare arrangements here, discuss preferred working arrangements next, discuss illness cover, you know, who's going to look after the child if it becomes ill. And I remember thinking, well, what if what, if what I want to do doesn't fit into any of these boxes what what well what then but luckily the real decision maker at the time was the head of our banking practice who who sat me down and and had a very frank conversation with me and basically said look you've never been a working mother before so this is all new to you as well why don't we just see how it goes come back, let us together find what works for you and make it work for the team. We'll give it three months and regroup after that. And that's what we did. So there was no checklist. There was no decisions that were made up front. We just went with the flow and saw how it works. So I think although you know the, the initial conversation was well-meaning because you had a woman who had just had a baby return from work and this is what you have to do to, you know, to initiate the conversation about return to work. Actually, what worked in the end was a completely fluid conversation that was incredibly flexible. So now, whenever I'm approached with a decision that needs to be made in respect of the wider team, I remember that experience and I try to be as flexible and receptive as I can, approach things with a with a yes mindset, you know, assume that we can say yes before assuming that it's a no. Because ultimately people's experiences, their life choices and, and preferences are different 
And that doesn't mean that what they have to offer is any less meaningful if we can just show a bit of a flexibility around how we and around how we approach things. Another thing that I really struggle with is actually client entertainment. So I would describe myself as a bit of an introvert and the legal industry first and foremost is a people business. It makes good business to have strong relationships with your clients and to develop those, you know, to develop those strong interpersonal connections, client entertainment is, is important. And I have no issue with that. But my difficulty comes when we look at, well, what does entertaining clients mean? And for a long time, it was drinks after work. Um, now, for me, that's not something that I particularly enjoy or something that is easy for me to participate in for, for various reasons. Now, I'll let you into a little secret that I've discovered along the way, which is that there are plenty of other clients that also don't particularly want to socialize in this way. And they, like me, would much rather a one-to-one -one coffee or lunch. And that's something that's easy for me to do and I, and I really quite enjoy. So my point with this story is that if you only view client entertainment as drinks after work, or if you only offer that as the way to interact with clients outside of a specific mandate, immediately you exclude a whole, a whole portion of people and potentially miss out on creating meaningful connections with those people. And what you'll find is a vicious circle because you become close to people who are like you and who enjoy drinks after work when um, you know, they engage you more. And, and, and essentially this precipitates the idea that the only meaningful way to become clo close to clients is, is through this way of, of client entertainment. And I only came to this re realization after I myself became determined not to do things that were not genuinely me or reflective of, of who I am. And I found that actually a lot of people from very different backgrounds shared that same feeling. And I don't have trouble interacting with, with clients. We just do it in a, in a different way. That's a fascinating perspective, Reem. Um, and, I, and I love that you said that because firstly, you're, you're right. How do we even call out bias that's an unconscious one. So actually identifying what needs to change and then thinking about how it can actually work for everyone involved is, is a really great new way to kind of think about it. Um, and, and you're right about you know, being genuine at the end, end of the day uh, when you're approaching these, these challenges. Um, so thank you for sharing that, that's, that's incredible. And uh, Reem, I know you've talked about the importance of mentorship before. So um, I wanna ask you something about that because I also know that you're a mentor to many of the female lawyers in the office. So what role has mentorship played for you in your career? And what should others be thinking about when they're looking for mentors and allies in the workspace? Mentors and allies in the workplace are so incredibly important. There is really no sense in talking to just one person about any success that they've achieved in their career, because very quickly you will find that success is, it's a product of a formula that includes so many different components, one of which is who have been your allies and who have been your ambassadors in the workplace. 
those people who help you develop technically, those people who guide you through the maze that is workplace politics, and you know, let's be honest, every organization has its own. Finally, those people who, who speak for you when you're not in the room and decisions are being made, those ambassadors for your cause, they are incredibly important components of your success. You would be foolish to think that you know it's all it's all on you. Without mentors and without allies, without those people who have your back in the room, it's really an uphill battle. When I look back at my own career, I can identify each of those people who have contributed to my career development in different ways. Some of them within the firm, some outside, and each in in, it, in their own unique way, you know, the, the teacher, the advocate, the advisor, the ambassador, these are all people who played a vital role in getting me to where I am today. And to your second question, you should, you should choose your mentors really, really carefully. You need someone who you can trust. You need someone that you respect. You also need to be able to relate to them but that doesn't mean that they need to be exactly like you. And finally, I'd say that you need someone that is invested in your, in your success as well. So what, what I mean when I say they don't need to be exactly like you, especially if you're like me um, and you're a woman in a predominantly male industry, um, you will find it difficult to find mentors who are exactly like you and who share your experiences. Um, and that's not what you need. In fact, you need a diversity of mentors because what that brings is insight that you might not necessarily have access to. I, I never had a mentor that was just like me. I was a young Arab woman in this predominantly white male sector but what I did have was many mentors that together supported me and gave me a wide range of role models and diverse advice that I could pick and choose, right? And formulate my own strategy that was, that was uniquely mine. Um, it was almost like I had various Lego pieces that I could put together to build what I wanted to, what I wanted to achieve. So that's what I would say. I would say, don't look for a mentor that is a mirror of, of yourself. Look for characteristics that you respect and relate to um, and, and get a diversity of views. That's a really incredible perspective, Reem. And just continuing on from that theme, what are some of the other key insights that you would like to share with us from your own journey? something that those listening to us today can take away and really think about? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. And, and I, think my, I think my answer is a little bit sad, Deepika, but the one thing that's always followed me throughout my career, and I think that actually many people listening might relate to, I've, I've always been afraid. <laughs> So that day, my, my first day at Linklaters, when I was sat at that bus stop, rethinking my life choices and whether this was something that I was even capable of doing, that day is a day that I relive every single day. Every day, I'm afraid that I won't be able to deliver, that I won't know the answer, that I'll be eventually found out, right? I think 
these things, these fears might sound really, really familiar to a lot of people. And it's not just at work, it's everything. I worry that I'm not being a good mother. I worry that I let my parents down when I'm not around as much as I could be. You know, these things are, are fears that, um, that, we all, that we all experience. But eventually, for me, the real turning point was when I came to the conclusion that actually this fear doesn't need to be debilitating. It can actually be quite empowering because it's a reminder of what you could be doing better. It's a reminder of what you want to become, right? It's a reminder that you do want to excel at your job. Be, you do want to be a present mother. You want to be a dutiful daughter and a doting wife. You want all of those things, which is why you fear not being them. So it's a it's, a, it's just a manifestation of this ambition and this desire of actually wanting to achieve something. So if I could leave our listeners with one key takeaway from, from this interview, it's that everyone is afraid. And you don't need to feel bad that you're afraid. I would say embrace it because it's a powerful driver um, it's the reason why you excel rather than hold you back. So fear is normal and fear is really, really powerful. So I say embrace it and, um, and, you'll, and you'll fly. Reem, that was wonderful. And you know that the idea for this podcast actually came about because we wanted to have conversations with women in a meaningful way about their journey and challenges. And I honestly can't think of anyone more suited than you to reflect on this subject for our very special series finale episode. Reem, thank you for being so bold and earnest. You touched on ambition and challenges and fears that most people who are listening to us today can completely relate to. So thank you again for being here today. We absolutely loved having you on board. Thank you so much, Deepika. If you've been following us on this series since March or have only just joined us today, thank you. We wanted to create a platform to openly talk about bias and find effective ways to challenge it. In the process, we also wanted to highlight and celebrate the women who came on the podcast and in some ways are visionaries in their organization because you're a classic example of breaking the bias that is out there. We hope you enjoyed the series as much as we love producing it. From the Linklaters team, that's all for now on Visionary Voices. Thanks for joining us. Thank you.